I'm excited to be with you here this morning to be continuing our journey through the book of James. And I was thinking we're still in chapter one. And as we go through James, for me, it's much like taking a hike through a beautiful countryside. And, and you know, you don't sort of speed your way through it, especially if you're me, you don't speed your way through it anyway. But as you're walking through, there's just so much to see that you find yourself sort of camping here and going a little further and just sort of standing there for a while, just taking it all in. In the book of James, it's like at every turn, there's something amazing and so practical for us who are living the Christian life and for those who are sort of investigating the things of Christ. There's just so much to take in uh, that as we work our way through it, you'll find that we, we're, we're pacing ourselves, if you will, and, and taking in all the sights. And so, so far, what has is, what is James talked to us about? He's, he's talked to us about the importance of steadfastness and wisdom, uh, of having that stick to itness in our walk with Christ and, and, and that God-given wisdom of not just the knowledge of God's word, but how do we apply God's word in, in the way that we live in our, in our daily um, correspondence with people and in and, and the interactions we have. And now he's going to take us from sort of what I would say this outward circumstances of life to this inward part of the deep parts of who we are. Uh, simply put, we'll explore birth, life, and death within the context of God's promise, our problem, and the Lord's solution to our problem. Now you say, that's a lot. What are you talking about? And I, I say, well, thanks for asking. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into it together. But we're going to start with God's promise. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. That's that word, that word steadfast again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So what does James emphasize? He's emphasizing this teaching from the very beginning that we utilize all the trials of life, all the tests of life, in order to allow us to mature in Christ. And so God's promise is that those who are steadfast will receive the crown of life. And we don't talk much about the crown of life in church anymore. I don't know why. Uh, because it's certainly there, but there are rewards in heaven, heavenly rewards. You know that, don't you? That, that when we reach paradise, that, that, that literally there'll be a crown of life that God will hand to us. And, to be, to, and it's this idea of really being blessed that James is getting at. And what does it mean to be blessed? Well, to be blessed is to be filled with joy and fulfillment. That's what the word really means, joy, real joy, not just happiness, it's fleeting, but a deep joy in our heart, knowing that our future is secure in Christ, in fulfillment, knowing we're his, knowing we belong to him. In fact, you don't need me to tell you that really there's a huge vacuum in our culture of fulfillment, a huge vacuum. People trying to find worth and trying to understand what's their purpose. And it's only in Christ that we find this joy in fulfillment. And we're to understand that the steadfastness through trials brings us personal fulfillment and satisfaction as we walk through them, as God gives us his strength, as we rely on him, he does this work in our life. As, far as, a, as followers of Christ, we ought to desire to realize in ourselves all that Christ intends for us. Now, what do I mean by that? I think all too many a believer goes through life sort of living for Christ and then sort of understanding what God has for them. And I want to encourage you that the Christian life is meant to be lived all in. Like, like put all your weight into it. 
And, and when we do that, we understand what Christ truly has for us, the joy and the peace. I think sometimes we as believers, uh, we're sort of, sort of have one foot in with God and one foot in in what we want to do. And then we say, well, God, you promised us peace. Why don't I feel it? And it's like, well, because you're doing your own thing, and so you can find your own peace then. <laughs> right? I mean, he's not being mean. It's just the way it is. He says, but trust in me, walk with me, and let me give you the peace. Lord, why is it I don't have the strength that your word promises? And the Lord says, well, because you're not living according to my word. You're doing it your own way, and then you have to find your own strength, and how's it working for you? He says, but, but put yourself in my hands. Learn what it means to, to rely on me, and I'll give you strength. Strength like you never even could have dreamt that you could possess. And, and in this way, the tests and trials of life are sort of like homework. Now, by the way, much like homework, which I never liked, I'm not saying I like to test in trials, but I certainly like what I get out of them. Are you there? How many of you played sports? I, I had friends who loved practice. I hated it. I loved the games. But in order to play in the game, you had to go to what? Practice. Practice. It's no different in our walk with Christ that in order to really experience the joy and, and experience the fulfillment, to really understand and, and mature in him that, that we go through the tests and trials. And, and maybe there's some sickos out there that like those things, okay? But for the rest of us, it's not that that we live for. We live for the other side where we understand that we're maturing in Christ and we're, we're understanding who we are in him and his joy consumes us. And we're like, man, you gave me joy even in the midst of that really rotten circumstance. You, you were there with me. Have you ever gone through something and looked back and said, man, now I can see. God was there and God was there and God was... That's what James is writing about. The blessings God will give are, are summed up in this gift that he, he gives us, this, this crown of life, and the crown is a reward of faithful endurance and steadfastness. It's giving to those willing to fight the good fight for Jesus' sake, to stick with it, to not give up. I, I, I look at this, and, and I think that really it's why the world doesn't always understand us. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, they have a different worldview than the Christian does. Uh, in fact, I would say polar opposite at times. I, I don't know about you, but in my walk with Christ, there, there have been those who, who weren't believers, who were friends of mine, who looked at me and said, why don't you just loosen up and have fun? You know, I remember this especially in high school, as I had friends who would say, why, why don't you just go out and, and party with us this weekend? I mean, let loose, have fun, Craig. I had friends, and, and their only objective in my four years of high school is to get me drunk. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, that, that was really one of their goals. In fact, when I was at school and they would hand me something and say, hey, drink this. I, I wouldn't drink anything they gave me because I knew what their goal was. And, 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 and they would look at me and I would say, why do you bother living this life? Why are you giving up so much? That's their perspective. That was their perspective. My perspective was, was twofold. Number one, I was enjoying life. I wasn't doing what they were doing, but I was enjoying life. And remembered every if part of it. I'll let you think about that one. I, I was living life and didn't have the same consequences they had. 
I mean, I mean, I understand this. I was not perfect, especially not in high school, and, and, and certainly had consequences, but not nearly the consequences they had. I was enjoying life. Secondly, I realized my future was, was, was bright. There was a crown of life awaiting me. It was worth it. The steadfastness is something that Christ says not only gives us a reward here and now, but gives us an eternal reward. Different worldviews. Different worldviews. Here's the simple truth. The believer's eyes are on the Lord, and, 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 and as we steadfastly walk with him, we understand that there's a reward for us awaiting us in paradise. There's a reward today, the joy, the, st- the strength, the, the promises of God fulfilled in our life, but the true fulfillment of that, the entirety of that fulfillment comes when we're with him in paradise. That's God's promise, church. That's God's promise. But, James shares, there's also a problem, our problem. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what's happening here? In in verse 12, James pronounces this blessing to those who endure, who are steadfast. And in verse 13, he talks about this inward trial that all of us face, this inward enticement to sin, which is temptation. And so if the promise is this great reward, the problem is sin. Remember, James is writing practically, so we shouldn't be surprised that he goes there. We shouldn't be surprised that he goes to that, 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 challenge that every single one of us face none of us are alone in it all of us face it all of us understand that as much as we want to walk steadfastly with with God that there's something within us from time to time that's pulling us another direction have you ever felt that I don't have time today I'm not into it today I'd rather do this but we learn two things about God first of all in verse 13 first of all God cannot be tempted with evil That's a good thing. God's nature is holy, making it impossible for him to be enticed by sin. And the second thing James wants us to understand, that God doesn't tempt anyone. That God's nature is good, therefore his attributes and actions leave no room or motive for him to want us to be defeated. For him to want to bring us down, for him to want to trip us up. It's important for us to understand this, that God's holiness makes it impossible for him to be tempted and and his goodness makes it impossible for him to tempt us. And and this means that that he may allow tests in in our path so it will mature in him, but they're not there to destroy us, they're there to build us up. They're there to make us more. Again, God doesn't desire to trip us up, but it's the voice of our old self, our sinful nature, that's determined to entice us and lure us away. How many of you, when you came to Christ, you heard you're a new creation in Christ? Right? You're a new person. How many of you quickly realize that the reality of this is this, though? Although you're a new creature, you're a new creature in Christ, you're a new creation, you're, you're a new person, but the old person is still in play until Jesus returns. Right? Did that not surprise you? I, I thought, man, I'm walking with Christ. I'm not going to have any temptation anymore. I'm just going to naturally always want to do the right thing. And then about 30 seconds later, I realized that wasn't true. 
that that old part can sort of crawl back in. It's dead in the fact that it's dying, but it won't be completely dead if Christ returns. Are you following me? And so this is what James is writing to us about. This is our problem. I have a hobby that I've had since my earliest memory, really, and that's fishing. I don't do it much now, um, but a few weeks ago, I actually took my granddaughter, who's going to be turning four in December, fishing for the first time. She kept asking me, Pop, Pop, will you take me fishing? And I said, sure. So we went out and had a blast. She really enjoyed it. She was focused as a three-year-old. I was so blown away by it. But when you're fishing... You've you got to figure out what lure you need to use for whatever you're fishing for, right? How many of you have fished before? And, and you pick the right lure, that's going to bring the fish in. Have you ever fished and you looked around, you're not getting anything, you're wondering, what's that person using? Because they're getting the fish, right? There's nothing like casting out the right fly, if you're fly fishing, and seeing that trout come up and grab it. Unless, of course, you're the fish. But as a fisherman, that's a beautiful, 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 beautiful thing. In many ways, that's what temptation is. It's the lure. It's not the same lure for all of us, but we all have one. Our lure is common to someone else, but not, may not be common to the person next to you, but it's what entices us. It's why it's temptation. It, it wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't something that enticed us. Are you following me here? Like people say, why did I fall into that? Because you wanted it. It just wasn't good for you. I, I think of the challenge of that, and I, I, I was thinking about the fact that drugs have, have touched all of our life one way or another, either directly or indirectly through those who we love. And, and, and as I was thinking through this, I thought that the general voice of that temptation, that first time, that voice certainly did not, when it was tempting someone to, to enter into taking that drug, never, never once said to them, hey, look, I want to give you insight into the life of an addict. It doesn't do that, does it? It says, this is what I'm going to promise you. And that's the problem with sin. It promises you everything, and it's a liar. It never offers what you want. It, it may give you temporary peace, but eventually you'll need more to get that peace again. You chase after that effect, that, that first effect, over and over and over and over. And it keeps promising, next time I'm going to give you even more. But the reality of it is, no, no, it just leaves you wanting and wanting more. And this is the problem. It's, it, it's something we're all wrapped up in, whether it be drugs, whether it be lust, whether it be whatever, food. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm getting personal myself. The enticing voice of temptation calls us to sin with this false promise that robs us. Remember the word blessing is joy and fulfillment. Well, sin robs us of joy and fulfillment. That's why it's wrong. So my friends who said, just let Lucy do this, you'll feel so much better. They were living the lie. I was trusting God's truth. Remember Elijah early in the service when he was introducing that new song to us, that powerful line that says, you know, feelings can lead us astray, can't they? Ever been there? But God's truth is always sure. It's always right. Always points true north. And so there's this downward spiral of sin that, that James introduces us to. It says, first, we're tempted and we're drawn by our own wrongful desires and lusts. Temptation always begins with us in our tendency to sin. 
We continually face temptation where to be drawn away from God, and, and it's the exact opposite of what it means to be walking in the Spirit to allow Jesus to give us vitality and life. Second, we're enticed by sin. Remember the fish and the lure. Third, we, when lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. That's the actual language that James uses. Submitting to lust always leads to sin. And the way of lust always leads, it always results in evil, where the way of the Spirit always leads to good. Do you hear what I just said? We have to understand that and believe it. Here's something I want you to remember this morning. Sin never adds quality to your life. Sin never adds quality to your life. Fourth and finally, when sin is full grown, it brings death. Romans 6.23, first part of that verse says, for the wage of sin is death, and Proverbs 14.12 there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. So here it is. God's promise is that the steadfast will receive the crown of life. That's good news. How many of you agree with that? But we have a problem, sin, that's bad news. How many of you agree with that? However, the passage doesn't end with bad news. It ends with good news. It gives us a solution. James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own uh, will he brought forth the word of truth, from his own he brought forth the word of truth, that we should be kind, uh, kind of first fruits of his creatures. The solution is found in the fact that every good thing we need is found in, from God. So if God's promise is a reward to the steadfast, but we have this problem, this inclination to wander away from him, to do the wrong thing, where's the solution? Well, James wants us to understand that every good gift comes from God, that sin is deceptive, but God never deceives. God's nature never changes. He's our constant. And God is perfect. Catch this, catch this. God is perfect. And everything he does is perfect. Therefore, his gifts are not just good, but perfect. God is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. So his gifts are not just good, they are perfect. We, we need to, to, to have this love in our heart, to be able to have this steadfastness, to receive joy. And yet the reality of it is, is that we have this inclination. So how do we overcome this inclination? Well, verse 18, he brought us forth. He gave us new life. He gave us new birth. And, and the context makes it clear that God's the word of truth and that he does something in us that gives us an ability outside of who we were. It gives us an ability of who we now are in him. To be more, to be more. J. Alec Mortier writes it this way. Catch this this morning, because many of us will be so tempted after a message like this to get out there and just try harder. Listen to what Mortier writes. He says, if anything is to be done, God must do it. Did you catch that? Yes. If anything is to be done, God must do it. If any blessing or change is to come to us, it must come from outside. If any agency is to be at work, it must be other than ours, for we are dead. Another way of looking at it, looking at sort of the language of the New Testament, the language that James uses here, it's no more possible for us to be agents or contributors to our new birth than it was for our natural birth. Don't think too long on that one, okay? But like you did nothing to be born, right? 
Oh, come on, don't make me go to simple biology. We have kids in the room, for goodness sakes. Tell me you're on the same page. We could do nothing for the new birth either. It was all about God. He provided the way through Jesus Christ. He called us unto himself. He gave us the ability to receive him. So when we read Romans 6.23 fully, what starts out as, as sort of discouraging for the wages of sin is death, becomes quite encouraging, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God, his love. I got a text this past week from a family member, and they asked me, they said, if we're not doing this, does it mean that we don't deserve God's grace? The question was simply a James question, right? Is this all about works, or where does works play? And I thought, okay, this, this was an elder in my family, someone older than me, and I thought, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer respectfully, but first of all, I have to correct the fact that they misunderstand grace. Because once you say, do I deserve grace, you don't understand what grace means, because grace is an unmerited favor, nothing you can do to deserve it, it's a love that's freely given. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just write that. I say, you're loved by God, not because of what you do, because in spite of what you do, because of who he is. That's the love of God. And by the way, I knew I was preaching this, so it was fresh in my mind, and his love isn't just good, it's perfect. The response was, I love you. (laughs) But the reality, more importantly, is no, 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 God loves her. God loves you. And so as we're to be steadfast in him, where does that steadfastness originate? It originates with the spirit of God working in and through us, right, church? It's relying on him. Understanding our weakness, that without him, we, we are, we're drawn away from what is good. But with him, because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we can be drawn to what's, what's right. So I shared this downward spiral of sin, but I can't do that without sharing this upward spiral of salvation from sin. I want to share with you out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Second verse I ever memorized. I memorized in different translations. I'm going to read it so that I don't confuse the two. But no temptation has overcome you, but it is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but when you are tempted, he'll provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I like another translation. It's quite accurate as well. It says it gives you the ability to be victorious. Not just endure. So what is the promise here? Well, it's quite clear. First, every temptation we face is common to others. The enemy would like to tell you that you're facing something that's unique to you. Ever been there? I'm alone. I can't share with anyone else because if I do, they're going to go, wow, I can't believe you're dealing with that. Have you ever actually stepped out and trusted somebody and shared something that you were being tempted about? And have them look at you and say, man, this, they may not be going through the same thing, but they're going through something. I get what you're going through. And all of a sudden, the enemy's lies fall away. The enemy says, keep it to yourself because people will look down on you if you share the truth. And God says, if they look down on you, they're not there for you anyway. We as a church would be there for each other. Isn't that right, church? Come on now, if you want to get to lunch. Right, church? <laughs> We're there for each other. We need to be honest with one another. God is faithful. I love that. God is, is to be trusted. 
He, he's promised to be our deliverer, to be what we need to overcome. Third, we must believe that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to stand. In other words, God's strength is greater than the enticement of Satan. Greater than the enticement of the weakness of our flesh. Greater than the enticement of the world. That, that God is greater than all these things. And I know, like, like me, many of you probably said, God, don't trust me so much. But you know what we're thinking of when we say that? Our own strength, our own ability. Do you remember whose ability we're relying on? The God who spoke the world into existence. Trust me, there's not a problem that you go through that he's not powerful enough to give you a solution. Did you catch that? Come on, if that doesn't light your fire. Fourth, and finally, God will make a way of escape so that you can bear the temptation. That bear is a victorious word, not just being able to say, oh, I'm just going to have to put up with it. No, 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 to push your way through it, to allow the strength of God to give you the ability to overcome it. In short, even when we believers face morally confusing situations, we should never think that God isn't going to give us an option other than being sinful. He can give us an option to be victorious. God will always provide a morally right solution that doesn't require disobedience to, to the word of God, that, that he's always faithful to us. Well, how does that happen? Well, several years ago now, I was invited by a friend to go on a pheasant hunt. How many hunters do we have out there? I'm not going to ask how many don't like hunting because right now we're in the illustration. I, I can't bear to think about it. But I will say to those of you who don't like hunting that the pheasants were safe with me. Okay? <laughs> so may that give you peace. He had this dog that he had trained and it actually was a world-class hunting dog. And, and at that time I didn't even know there was such a thing, but, but he had one. He had put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort into it. It was bred for this. It was an amazing dog. And, and I was wondering how, how they were working together. Here was a dog going through this tall grass trying to chase up a pheasant. And, and yet it always seemed to know where my friend was and, and what he was saying. And, and, and then it hit me. Well, that was the key. The dog never seemed to go so far away from him that he couldn't hear his voice. Like he was always close enough where he could hear his voice. And every once in a while I'd catch the dog looking back. Not only to see if he was there, but to see, am I heading the right direction? Are you following me? There was this cooperation between the hunting dog and, and my friend that was, was quite spectacular. And it was thinking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and thinking about what God does for us. I, I realized, is that not the secret of the Christian life? That we don't try to get so far ahead of God we can't hear his voice? That we don't get so lost in the tall grass that we can't see his face? but that we're always making sure that we're connected to him. And that's where the victory comes, connected with him. And when I find myself in a place where I am lost in the tall grass, what do I do? I bark. <laughs> I call out. And God is always so faithful to be there, to get me on the right track again. This is the Christian life. This is the life that James speaks of. And it's why, after James writes this in James 1.19, first part of that verse, he writes, Know this, my beloved brothers. Now it's interesting, because the way that the Bible is written, you'll find next week, we'll start with James 1.19 again. Know this, my beloved brothers. You say, well, which one is it pertaining to? Is it pertaining to what we just read or what we're going to read? And the beautiful thing with Greek is the answer is yes. 
That when we read it in its tense, it's, it's, it's read to say, this what we just read, pay attention to this, beloved brothers. And by the way, what we're about to look at next week, pay attention to this. It's important. Catch this. There's life in these verses. Back in James 1, 5 through 11, God, J, God calls us through James to what? Walk in wisdom. James 12, 19, what we just read. Given this knowledge, how are we to walk wisely? We're to trust in God. Not in our own strength, not in our own ability. Because the reality of it is, we have this good news, this promise to those who walk in Christ, and we have this bad news, this reality that there's a sin problem, and then this excellent news. But God gives us what we need to be overcomers. Not our strength, but his. Not our wisdom, but his. Not our ability, but his. And therefore, whatever challenge we go through, it's not limited by our ability, because God is, is God. And he can give us what we need to do more than just walk through it, but to be victorious in the midst of it. And here's the good thing about God. Even when we drop the ball, even when we fail, even when we don't measure up, he loves us because his grace isn't something we earned anyway. It's something he gives because it's who he is. And his love isn't just good, it's perfect. And so I ask you this morning, where are you with Christ? Are you in relationship with him? He's created you to be in relationship with him. If you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, why not this morning? Reach out to him. Say, I want to be in that relationship. I need that victory. I need you. And for those of us who are in Christ, are your eyes on him? If they are, keep staring. If they're not, bark. I promise he'll come to you. The joy, the fulfillment that all of us long for is found only in Christ. So let's go to him in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of taking a walk through your word together. As we've been walking through this book of James, this inspired word that you laid on James' heart to share with us. God, we find ourselves staring at this and that and the other. There's so much to take in. Sometimes it's, it's, it can be overwhelming, and yet we realize that we're not taking it in by our own ability. We're taking it in by the ability that your spirit gives us. That you will bring to remembrance these things that we're studying together, that we can walk with you that we can walk in such a way that brings us joy and fulfillment we don't need to feel alone we don't need to be alone you've created us to walk with you and one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and God even as I say that I lift up the person even now whether they be on our Canandaigua campus or watching online who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior and I wonder if now isn't the moment if now is it the life-changing moment where they say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for being resurrected for my salvation. Thank you for the love that you have for me, even when I'm not walking in a way that deserves that love. Thank you that your grace isn't about deserving. It's about your perfect love you have for us. It's what draws us to you. 
Lord, if, if, if just one person's made that decision this morning, that all of heaven erupts in applause. Father God, for those of us who have been walking with you, whether it be moments or, or, or weeks or months or years, what a great reminder we receive from James. We thank you for the promise that as we're steadfast, as we're walking with you, that, that Lord, that there's a crown of, of life awaiting us. But we are all too aware of our own weakness. That although we're made new in you, the old person's still in play and it still causes havoc. But there's a downward spiral when we allow temptation to give birth to sin. And we don't want that. We want to walk with you. We want to walk in joy and fulfillment. So God, we want to take that upward spiral of salvation from temptation salvation from sin and Lord God we want to we want to walk with you we understand that Lord for that the word death for those who don't know you is eternal death but for us who are in Christ that 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 word death simply means being robbed of the full enjoyment of our salvation we want to walk in that so thank you for providing everything we need to do that and being so gracious that when we fall that you promise as we bark to come to us and pick us up and put us on the path again your love is perfect. Your path is perfect. Help us keep our eyes on you. Trust in you. Give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name.